3: A very good morning to you and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Asanda Mazzawanyani, today, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31st meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, we we'll look at immunization. World Immunization Week is celebrated in the last week of April and it aims to promote the use of vaccines to protect people of all ages against disease. But one in every five children is still missing out. In 2013, an estimated 21.8 million infants did not receive life-saving vaccines. Inadequate supply of vaccines, lack of access to health services, a shortage of accurate information about immunization, and insufficient political and financial support all play a part in this. So to help us take this conversation further, we will be discussing this with uh, three of our guests. But now, it's time for a news update with Onel
4: Hello catch your headlines. The first contingent of more than four hundred Zimbabweans fleeing xenophobic violence in South Africa to go through the Bait Bridge border post today. Seven United Nations staff members have been killed in an explosion in Garoe in the Puntland State in Somalia, and the United States condemns the brutal mass murder of thirty Ethiopian Christians in Libya. The first contingent of more than 400 Zimbabweans fleeing in big violence in South Africa's coastal city of Durban is expected to reach the Bait Bridge border post today. Passes carrying 407 Zimbabweans described as enthusiastic to go home only left Durban late last night. Zimbabwe's Ambassador to South Africa Isaac Moyo says another 400 Zimbabweans are this morning waiting to leave Durban. All returning migrants are going through basic checks to confirm that they are Zimbabweans as South Africans are not allowed to go through. Meanwhile, South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba says law enforcement agency will do everything in their power to restore law and order. Briefing the media in the capital, Pretoria, Gigaba reiterated government's efforts to stop attacks on foreigners in the country. The attack started in the KwaZulu-Natal province two weeks ago and spread to some parts of Harting province. President Jacob Zuma appointed Gigaba State Security Minister David Machabo and Police Minister Tatnatin Tintego to spearhead government's response to the attacks. Maluti Obuseng has more.
5: The government says it's aware that there are people within communities who incite violence against foreign nationals. Attacks on foreign nationals erupted in Isipingo in KwaZulu-Natal two weeks ago. Seven people, including three South Africans, are known to have died since the outbreak of the attacks. Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba has sent a stern warning to those inciting attacks on foreign nationals. Police are trying to establish the origins of SMSs making rounds in the country, threatening foreign nationals.
4: Four United Nations Children's Fund staff members have been killed when Al-Shabaab militants bombed a UN minivan in Somalia. Four others were seriously wounded. The improvised explosive device attack occurred when the staff were traveling from their guest house to the office, normally a three-minute drive. UNICEF says the staff were from a range of countries, but their nationalities would not be immediately released as their families were being contacted. The United States has condemned the brutal mass murder of 30 Ethiopian Christians in Libya following a video released by Islamic State militants purportedly showing their execution. The 29-minute ISIS video appears to show militants holding two groups of captives described in text captions as followers of the cross from the enemy Ethiopian church. National Security Council spokesperson Bernadette Meehan decried the killings and called for stability in Libya, which has been mered in political chaos and unrest since the 2011 uprising that toppled former leader Muammar Gaddafi. And finally, Indigenous people from around the world are gathering at the United Nations headquarters in New York over the next two weeks to discuss issues including social development, youth suicide and human rights. Their permanent forum on Indigenous issues is an opportunity for the world's 370 million Indigenous people to have their voices heard on the international stage. Catherine Hazelberg has more. Over the next two weeks in New York, participants will address the post-2015
3: development agenda, as well as the challenges faced by the Pacific region, which is home to a large number of indigenous groups. A special session is also being held on suicide and self-harm amongst young people. The forum is an advisory body to the UN
4: Economic and Social Council. Now, recapping on your top stories, the first contingent of more than 400 Zimbabweans fleeing xenophobic violence in South Africa to go through the Bait Bridge border post today. Seven United Nations staff members have been killed in an explosion in Garowe in the Puntland state of Somalia. And the United States condemns the brutal mass murder of 30 Ethiopian Christians in Libya. Channel Africa News. Channel Africa supports. Hashtag say no to xenophobia and hashtag we are one.
3: Thank you, Onele, for that news update. Now, remember to you, the listener, that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter, or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27823325905. Now, to the topic of today, excuse me. World Immunization Week 2015 will signal a renewed global, regional and national effort to accelerate action to increase awareness and demand for immunization by communities and to also improve vaccination delivery services. This year's campaign focuses on closing the immunization gap and reaching equity in immunization levels as outlined in the Global Vaccine Action Plan, GVAP. The plan, endorsed by the 194 member states of the World Health Assembly in May 2012, is a framework to prevent millions of deaths by 2020 through universal access to vaccines for people in all communities. Now, to uncover uh, the topic today, we are joined on the line by Dr. Anne von Gotteberg, who is a clinical microbiologist for the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. And uh, good morning to you, doctor.
6: Um, good morning and good morning to your listeners.
3: thanks for joining us now the first thing I'd like to ask you is which diseases need vaccines?
6: Well, ideally, we would like to be able to prevent and that's exactly what vaccines do is they prevent diseases we would be able we would like to prevent all diseases. but what has happened is through research and lots of work, um, there are many diseases that we can pre- prevent um, with vaccines, and these can be what we generally understand as communicable or infectious diseases, Um, and um, we can think of the older diseases that we don't even see that much anymore because we vaccinate so carefully against them, such as diphtheria, whooping cough, um, tetanus, and we can think of new diseases that we're now vaccinating more recently, uh, pneumococcal pneumonia um, and pneumonia. Human, human papilloma virus, um, but I think the listeners may be interested that we are even using vaccines to prevent cancers because these cancers are caused by um, viruses like human papilloma virus. So that vaccine prevents um, cervical carcinoma, and there's another virus, hepatitis B, that pre- um, we vaccinate against in order to prevent something like liver um, um, cancer. So there are many, many diseases that um, we can prevent vaccines, but the government um, in South Africa and governments in Africa prioritize the important ones that they want to vaccinate, and they give them in a program, a routine immunization program, and those are the ones that they give to infants routinely. So they choose the most important vaccine-preventable diseases to give in a routine immunization program.
3: And now we welcome uh, Dr. Bongile Mabilane on the line, who's uh, representing the UNICEF. Good morning to you.
1: Morning. How are you?
3: We well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Is uh, immunization the only widely recognized way, um, in terms of health interventions, ever introduced?
7: Okay. No, thank you for inviting me to the show. Um, the, I would say yes. In uh, in two thousand, the year two thousand. The CDC Center for Disease Control, they released the 10 great public health achievements in the 20th century. So that means uh, we were looking back from 1900 to 1999, all the interventions that have been created innovatively um, in public health. This is around the country. And I'm proud to say that immunization was first on the list for that for that uh, top grade um, public health achievements that we have done because immunization alone saves millions at the time. We are sitting at 3 million per year, the lives that immunizations are saving. So I would say that it is one of the best yeah. and the top great innovations and interventions that public health has introduced in the world until, until recently, yeah.
3: Okay. We also joined uh, by Dr. Mark Jitt, who's a senior lecturer in vaccine epidemiology uh, at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Uh, good, off- uh, good morning to you, sir. Oh, good morning. Thank you for joining us. As uh, Dr. Bongile Mabila mentioned, immunisation is, you know, widely recognised. Would you say that it's the most cost-effective health intervention?
2: Um, well, I think it is definitely one of the most cost-effective. There was a reports by the World Bank um, some time ago which looked at a number of uh, major public health interventions and that found that the sort of um, the commonly used vaccines that are included in the expanded program on immunization that the WHO recommends all countries to use were definitely among the most cost-effective interventions. In fact, most of the time they are cost-saving in the sense that when you invest money in the EPI program, you actually save more money in terms of um, reduced healthcare expenses than you spend on the program itself.
3: And Dr. von Gotteberg, how do we monitor and assess the impact of uh, strategies, uh, more specifically uh, immunization when it comes to reducing morbidity and mortality?
1: So
6: by doing um, very careful post-introduction or even pre-introduction surveillance and um, asking doctors to also report the diseases that they see. So for example, at the NICD we do, um, we monitor the burden of disease to see whether we should introduce these vaccines in our routine program. And then we'll monitor as the in- vaccines get introduced to to show that there is an impact and that um, both disease as well as deaths are reduced as a result of introduction of those vaccines, and we ask that clinicians and nurses report vaccine-preventable diseases as part of a notification process within um, the national program, and I think many countries or most countries do that, and within um, the global um, elimination and control programs as well, there are surveillance programs in progress because it's so important to monitor the impact of these vaccines.
3: And uh, Dr. Jit, would you say that uh, enough information and encouragement to the public is given to make this initiative a success in terms of reports and the surveillance that Dr. von Gottberg has mentioned?
2: Um, Well, I I mean, I I, I think that would be country-specific because every country will have their own methods for um, publicity, promotion, social mobilization. But I must say that many um, countries have put a lot of emphasis on ensuring that... um, mothers, that parents realize the importance of vaccination um, to to make sure that um, the the vaccine coverage is as high as possible.
3: Why are infant and childhood immunization so important? What would you say, uh, Dr. Bongile-Mabilani?
7: I think mainly for what the public needs to know is that it prevents two things. Uh, Vaccines, they are preventing... Mobility—that—that's the word we use for sickness. So we prevent for you to even get sick, and um, we know that sick sickness drives to deadly uh, consequences. Um, other other diseases might lead to mortalities. So vaccines are important in infants for those particular reasons. That we are preventing sickness, but in in the long run, we are investing in reducing deaths, and those are preventable deaths that we see. But it also has a social connotation to it. We are saving money uh, because when a child is sick, the mom needs to take time off work. So um, socially and economically as well, when you have a healthy country, you have a very vibrant economic force, the workforce. And uh, and so vaccines are a powerful tool for us to prevent known and preventable diseases, not only to our infants, but I want to stress also that there are vaccines for the elderly, there are vaccines for travelers who are going to endemic countries like yellow fever, so it's just not only about children, but um, so for this particular context, I think we need to, to send out that strong message that against sickness and, and deadly diseases, Vaccines are, are probably our best tools that we're using right now, but it also has a social and economic benefit to it
3: as well. And would you say, Dr. Mabilani, that uh, the what are the challenges that go with this immunization drive globally? Uh, Dr. Jit has mentioned that you know it goes; via, it's it's almost uh, unique to each country in terms of um, you know what the effects are and what the challenges and experiences are. But speaking generally, what would you say are the challenges? Um,
7: they are, they are quite very, very much abroad, up, up and they, they, they are, they, you do have cross um challenges from procurement of vaccines, from cold chain of vaccines. Where do you store them? How do you buy them? And uh, the biggest debate right now is who should be buying vaccines for our kids. We are quite very lucky that in South Africa, um, we have a very functional health systems, and uh, the government is in charge of our vaccines. Um, but the challenge that I want to to just put out. There also comes from the community, you know, the people that you are addressing today, that uh, there's a rising misconceptions about the safety of vaccines, and uh, that those misconceptions uh, we need to really ignite a, a dialogue and a debate about the safety of vaccines. I mean, there is vaccines. They come from, like I mentioned earlier, this, this these are vaccines that we've been monitoring since the 1900s. They are very safe, and until today, they have saved more than 30 million lives per year in in Africa alone. So I would say the challenge that we need to probably address and that we can address with the the means that we have individually as a a, a mom or as a a gogo or a community member is the misconceptions about vaccines so that we can increase the awareness and the, the accessibility for the demand to be there. When people think and they believe that vaccines are safe, they will be confident enough to affect them. So I think the misconceptions are one of the the, the challenges that you currently are facing, and we need to, to, to voice out uh, in a dialogue that uh, the vaccines are quite safe to use.
3: And uh, Dr. Jit, can you add to that? What what are the challenges that go with the kind of drive of immunization?
2: I think that's a um, very good summary of the uh, main challenges. I mean, they are different in it. Every country, but in many places, I mean just um, bringing the vaccines to um, remote areas that might not have um, cold chain, might not have um, electricity supplies, might not have um, good transport into those areas requires um, a lot of effort, but it is an important effort to make because it wouldn't be fair that um, for instance, people in the cities in accessible areas get very good vaccine protection, but people in remote areas are left out and have to suffer the diseases.
3: Okay. And uh, Dr. von Gotteberg, what are the misconceptions, maybe, that, or how can we address the misconceptions that Dr. Mabilane has, has raised in terms of community members coming on board?
6: Well, I think for that, we do need to understand um, the specifics of the communities that we're working in because they will differ. Um, I think one of the big immunization drives globally now is, for example, the polio eradication. And um, this is a global initiative um, where polio has been eliminated in many, many countries, Um, but there are some countries, in fact two countries, um, where there's still one or two cases of polio. And in those countries specifically, there need to be um, uh, sort of initiatives that deal with the the initiatives there to deal with where are low coverage and what's happening in those countries. In South Africa, for example, the reasons for low coverage or where Coverage might be low or people might not be immunizing will be very different to why people will not be immunizing their children in Europe, in Germany, for example, or in the United States. And we've seen that, for example, with the measles outbreaks that have been occurring throughout the world um, just recently um, where they've been pockets of people not immunizing their children in the United States and Europe, and measles is an unforgiving communicable disease where um, uh, it's transmitted very, very easily, and when there are groups of people that have been unimmunized for whatever reasons, um, it transmits very easily, and then there can be outbreaks, and um, the the outbreaks that have occurred in the United States, for example, have been in in Disney parks, for example, where they have been communities together, people, middle class people meeting um, and there have been people that have been unimmunized, mixing with other people um, and this is not what's happening in Africa for example. So I think one has to understand that there are reasons why people will not choose to vaccinate their children and I think we need to talk to the families and to the guardians of the children and answer their concerns and speak to them and be honest um, and discuss it with them. But um, as was mentioned already, vaccines are safe. Um, They've been given to millions and millions of children. They are safe and they prevent disease. They prevent these very outbreaks of measles that can kill children and have resulted in death in these outbreaks that I've been describing.
3: Okay, we're going to continue with our topic. uh, Further discussions after this short break.
0: I'm Benjamin Mushatama. I'm an African from South Africa. I say no to xenophobia. Let's unite, Africa.
4: Kenna Elizabeth. mo wa gochua wola provincial Mbopo, mo wa uroa. Ke gana na lidi chaselo jabadwidi badi na di shele, iliru xenophobia. Let's unite, Africa.
1: langue
0: michael harer mémé ni moi africa coutoco Uganda. africa je m'appelle jacques je suis un africain de côte d'ivoire je dis non à la xénophobie restons unis africains
6: Ek is Janine, ek praat Afrikaans. Kom ons staan saam en sê nee vir xenofobie. Let's unite Africa. <tom>
3: Right, Welcome back. You are listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. I'm Asanda Mazzaunyane and we are talking immunization uh, with the World Immunization Week coming up next week, which is the last week of April. We're speaking to Dr. Bongile Mabilane, Dr. Mark Jit and Dr. Anne von Gotteberg. Uh, before we went to commercial break, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jit, um, Dr. von Gotteberg mentioned that vaccines are very safe. What would you say? Are they safe?
2: Yes, I, I agree that they are. Um, the vaccines that Um, we use in schedules routinely are very safe because they've all been um, tested in very large clinical trials where um, first they're given to a small number of people and then to increasingly large number of people and um, every participant in the trial is monitored to make sure that um, there are no um, serious adverse events um, coming from the trial, um, anything that could potentially be harmful. And even after they're used, there's also... Post-vaccination surveillance, so that, um, and, and if there if there were any reports of anything um, adverse happening as a result of vaccination, that would be um, immediately um, reported from the post-introduction um, surveillance. So, the vaccines that have we have been using routinely in these countries, they've been given to millions of people around the world, and they have a very, very safe profile.
3: And, Dr. Mabilane, what are the risks involved with vaccines? What side effects are there?
7: Um, there are side effects, but they are mild and they are very minimum. Uh, the ones that we commonly see is that it's the redness and the swelling um, that usually is at the, the injection site. So when, when the vaccine is given via the injection, there will be some redness and some swelling uh, that and some pain that the pain the, the the injection will cause, but that's very minimum and that's very uh, it lasts for a few days. Uh, we recommend that you give the child maybe some Panadol, so that it goes it goes away. There are cases where there is just mild fever as well that um, children experience immediately after the vaccine, but again that as well is just a matter of. Uh, a few days, and we do recommend that a a concerned parent should always keep in touch um, with their medical professional, their nurses at the local clinic. But uh, just to emphasize that uh, vaccines have very, very, very mild uh, side effects, and uh, the common ones that we see is the redness and the swelling and the mild fever that usually goes away in a few days.
3: And in terms of Africa, Dr. Mabilane, would you say that the vaccination drive, uh, the, the, or the diseases that the vaccination drive is aimed at, have been sort of minimalized or are they being managed? Have they, you know, been eradicated?
7: I would say we we are on the way. I cannot completely say that we have we have won the battle. I think that the other doctor has mentioned as well. Uh, there are there are diseases like. Uh, whooping cough and pertusses that we haven't seen in a very long time, but um, we have uh, conditions that are reimagining and so on. But what is exciting with uh, our African context is that yeah, for the past 10 years, there has been a very dynamic talk and a dialogue to address the diseases that kill us the most. And I'm talking about HIV, TB, and malaria. And there are various vaccine trials that are going on against those diseases as we speak. So I think um, we do have the call and we have heeded to the call to address these in, this infectious diseases more on a preventive a preventative approach, which I think that is the way that um, as a continent we need to look forward. But for the diseases that we have already, there's a great stride, and I mean, in, un, in our South African context, we have just introduced the HPV vaccine against cervical cancer. And so I think we are, we are in the march. We haven't reached the mark yet, but I think there, there's a lot of political will and uh, a lot of drive to go towards that mark.
3: And uh, Dr. von Gotteberg, you mentioned that there are uh, immunizations even for diseases like cancer. Could we see one for HIV in the uh, future?
6: I hope so. And yes, I think there's lots of, it may not be um, as traditional vaccines and there's so much work happening and there's work done on therapeutic vaccines for HIV and um, prevention vaccines. And yes, I think um, the the scientific community has surprised us before and I, I sincerely hope they will surprise us in the future. And I hope there will be an HIV vaccine
3: in the future. And in terms of the cancer vaccines who or, or immuniza- immunizations, who should take them and uh, when should they take them? They're all determined
6: by the the, the governments um, in our routine immunization programme. So the ones that are given routinely at the moment are, for example, Um, The hepatitis B, which is part of the infant immunization program, so it's given um, as part of the routine um, program at 6, 10, and 14 weeks in the combination vaccines, and then there's a booster dose given later as well. and then the, the human papilloma virus, the HPV vaccine, which is um, to prevent cervical carcinoma in the future in young, in girls as they grow um, old and become sexually active, um, that's given in the school program in South Africa, and has been very successful. It started um, two years ago, and has had great, um, has really been very successful in our public school um, um, health program, and has had very, very good coverage. Um, and these are routine immuni- Im, um, immunizations that are given by the Department of Health um, and are offered to all children um, in the
3: country. When should immunization start in infants, Dr. Jit?
2: Well, um, as, as was mentioned, every country has a slightly different vaccination schedule depending on um, the main diseases in that country and the age at which people get them. In some countries, the first Dose, the first vaccine might even be the birth dose of hepatitis B, which is delivered at birth. In some countries, it might be the um, well, the um, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis vaccine. or in, in some countries, that's a combination of the Penta vaccine, where it's combined with um, polio and um, influenza. So, and that's given sometimes in some countries at two months together. In some countries, rotavirus is also at two months. So in many countries the schedule starts very early so that we can protect um, infants as early as possible from um, getting the diseases that the vaccines protect against
3: and uh, in terms of you know the country specific interventions that keep coming up in you know in certain countries it might be against someone's religion to immunize so what do you do in such case dr Jit?
2: um well i i would say to have a conversation with the um, the, the doctor, the, the local doctor. I mean, I'm not actually a, a clinically um, a clinician, so I wouldn't like to give direct advice. But I say a, a conversation with the doctor would be very important in that case to um, consider the options.
3: And uh, Dr. von Gotteberg, how would you answer that? I would say, as mentioned, is. It would depend on the situation that that
6: family and those children are in um, because it might be m- massively important in, in the case of an outbreak, of a measles outbreak, um, to discuss very carefully the risks of that child at that moment in that outbreak um, and to weigh up the options of um, the religion against um, having the vaccine versus the risk of the child getting measles. And... The question is that the family needs to be made aware of all of this information and together with the health provider and the clinician needs to have the information and then they together with that clinician will make the decision um, and exactly why the religion may be against um, immunization and what are the prohibitions. um, And I've always found in my clinical practice it's, it's always been useful when one has all the information and when discusses it very carefully. And under the situation that it occurs, um, one can often come to some information that then helps that one makes a decision together.
3: Dr. Mabilana, what happens? You're in a case where we see other children who are not immunised and yet they grow up and you know become healthy people. Is it because they're healthy, or is it because they'll suffer the consequences later?
7: Um, so we have something called herd immunity. Um, herd immunity is. Um, the, the immunity that we get as a community because we are depending on the neighbor being, being, being immune, immunized. Um, what happens there is basically there, we have a criteria in public health where we want to eradicate certain diseases from the face of the earth so we, we don't want to see them ever, ever, ever again. And when we have people in the community that are not immunized, from those uh, communicable diseases or infectious diseases, they become the weak, the weak link in the chain. So even though they might not get sick now, but they are prone to get infected somewhere down the line in their life, and that becomes a, a, a cycle where we cannot eradicate completely uh, certain diseases. And uh, uh, Like we had mentioned earlier that vaccines, the primary objective of vaccines is to eradicate diseases such as polio, measles, and uh, and so forth. And like we had mentioned that we're not only looking at the diseases that we have now, there are diseases that we are looking in the future. So it is very, very important that everybody gets immunized so that um, the herd immunity increases and we don't get weak links in the chain. And in that way, it's very easy for us to eradicate uh, certain diseases from the the face of the earth so that our children and the generation that comes after us would not have to go through uh, certain diseases.
3: And if a child has a a bad reaction to a vaccine, Dr. von Gotteberg, uh, Dr. Mabilane mentioned that sometimes there can be redness, there can be swelling or mild fever. Do you take the child back to that same vaccine? What happens in that case? It depends on what the vaccine was and what
6: the reaction was. But yes, mostly the the reactions are mild often the the reactions are quite good because remember the reason why we're giving the vaccine is for the child to mount an immune response. It's an antigen in the vaccine. We want them to mount an immune response. There needs to be a reaction and and that's a good thing. They're creating antibodies that will protect them when they get um, exposed to the um, germ or the bug that's going to cause disease if they didn't have the vaccine. And yes, so if they had only mild responses and redness and fever, etc., the next time they are due for a vaccine they would get those vaccines Um, There are some vaccines that um, may have um, allergic responses etc but these are very very rare so it's important to get a history of what the reaction was and to find out the details of what the vaccine and the reaction was Um, but mostly the routine immunization program would would continue in those children
3: Dr. Jett is there any information on the failure of a vaccine?
2: Um, Well uh, most of the vaccines we use are not um, 100% effective. So there'll be a small percentage of people who do not get protected by the vaccine. So for measles, it might be about 5 to 10%. But that's why um, this, um, the herd immunity that we discussed earlier is very important. So if the coverage of vaccine is high enough, a small percentage of people um, not being protected by the vaccine will still be protected by the rest of the community, but... The problem is if coverage isn't high enough, then um, these um, vaccine failures where the vaccine is given but a small percent don't get protected now become exposed to the disease. So that's the reason it's very important for coverage to be as high as possible.
3: What What are combination vaccines, uh, Dr. von Gottberg, if you can just break those down for us?
6: Combination vaccines are simply trying to put... Um well, mostly we use the term when we put com- um, different types of vaccines together, um, and it's it's mostly done so that we don't give the children or even the adults multiple injections, because there are so many diseases that we can vaccinate again, against. If we were to give for each of these diseases one injection, we'd be giving children five or six injections at at any one time during a visit when they come at 6 or 10 or 14 weeks when they come for their routine visits. And so what vaccine manufacturers have done is try to make a combination vaccine where they put the different antigens together um, so that we can give one injection with multiple different vaccines in that one injection. And that's a combination vaccine, mostly when we talk about combination vaccines.
3: And uh, co- commonly, uh, well, in terms of uh, you know the misinformation that uh, Dr. Mabilani mentioned, uh, Dr. Jit, what what are other commonly mentioned misinformations about immunization? We spoke uh, about Africa, but maybe let's look at uh, other parts of the world.
2: I think one misconception that's um, widely mentioned is that um, it's better to be protected by the natural way, for instance, I've heard people say, like, it's better to have the disease and then develop natural immunity to it, but I think this can be quite a um, dangerous misconception because um, the natural way actually having the disease can be um, actually very dangerous because a small. I mean, for instance, it's spoke, it's spoken about uh, vaccines against um, measles, for instance, and um, it's better to have measles and then just recover from it. But um, what these people might not realize is that a percentage of children who have measles can develop quite severe complications that um, can require hospitalization or even lead to death. So, I've, and on the other hand, the vaccine itself is extremely safe. Um, so I, I, I think that's definitely a misconception. If you look at the risks and benefits of the two options, definitely the vaccine is the um, by far the better option.
3: Okay, we're going to take another uh, break, and we'll be back right after this.
1: I'm uh,
5: disturbed. I'm petrified, I'm concerned, because uh, we are Africans. Africa gave us support during difficult times. Now it's our turn to provide support when they are difficult times. If there are problems, I think we've got a leadership that is strong enough in this country to deal with those problems. This is the leadership that, you know, came up with a solution on the most difficult question of apartheid. So, therefore, people must find within themselves to inundate the leadership with whatever question, whatever answers they want, also being the problem that they've identified, not to resort to violence. We've seen the anger. We we accept that people were frustrated. We are calling for, for calm, that we should solve these problems. We have stayed with people from outside for many years. We have never had a problem. This now must stop because we cannot continue killing one another. As Africans belonging to the same continent, we need to find a way. And the government is working hard to find a way where there will be coexistence
0: I'm Benjamin Mushatama. I'm an African from South Africa. I say no to xenophobia. Let's unite Africa.
4: Kenna Elizabeth, mo Africa wago chagola proffensia limbopo mo Africa wuora kiranana lidisha selejabadu di badi nara di sheli ilero xenophobia. Let's unite Africa.
0: Je m'appelle Jacques. Je suis un Africain de Côte d'Ivoire. Je dis non à la xénophobie. Restons unis, Africains.
6: Ik is Janine, ek praat Afrikaans. Kom ons staan samen in zijn nieuw ver Zenufobia. Let's unite Africa.
3: Welcome back to uh, African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, and we're talking immunization today on our program. And uh, Dr. Mabilane, uh, according to the World Health Organization, in 2013, an estimated 21.8 million infants did not actually receive the life-saving vaccines that they needed. What is the future of these children? What can be done here? Can this be turned around? Dr. Mabilane? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I I can hear you.
7: Of course, there's, there's hope, and we, we can turn it around. Uh, um, we are this year's immunization week. The, the actually the the theme for this year is closing the gap. So we're looking into closing the gap and increasing equity into into immunization levels. What that basically means is strengthening the health systems, and closing the gap can be achieved through strength, strengthening the immunization system and um, Getting, uh, reaching far to reach children in rural informal settlements and uh, going actually out there. And to wait for the parents to bring the child to health facilities, um, there's a strong drive to take the services to the people. And that can be done in various ways. And closing the gap also means that families know where and when to go for immunization. And uh, closing the gap also means to reach vulnerable populations that have not been vaccinated as yet. So there is um, a lot of health system strengthening and transformation that is going on globally and uh, as part of the Millennium Development Goals, we want a healthy nation by uh, 2015 and uh, I think uh, a lot of countries have taken that to their stride to close the gap into reaching these kids that have uh, been missed before. So this is a very strong theme that is going on uh, globally, that we want to close the gap and to reach equity levels in regards to immunization. Everybody needs to have their share and equal access to these important services.
3: And, and just in closing, uh, Dr. Jit and as well as Dr. von Gotteberg, World Immunization Week is next week. We celebrate it. What events are planned for this in closing the gap? I beg your pardon sorry uh, next week we celebrate world immunization week what what's what, what uh, events are planned? what will actually be happening during immunization week
2: um well i th- I think every country might have their own um, plans for that, but I know on a, a global level WHO is using the Global immunization Week in order to uh, well re- basically raise awareness. Across the world, um, in, among all stakeholders, are members of the public, governments, about the importance of um, immunisation, the lives that have been saved through immunisation, and to encourage people to um, vaccinate themselves. And I think there are a range of sort of, um, in different countries, sort of like um, campaigns, discussions, sort of public information workshops on this. But um, mm-hmm. I think they will be, be, be different in each country.
3: And uh, just quickly, Dr. von Gottberg
6: Um, Well, we here at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases are having um, presentations and discussions on Thursday the 30th of April where we're inviting experts um, to talk and discuss about all the challenges and the successes and um, the future of vaccinations in in the country um, together with the Department of Health, with the World Health Organization, with community partners. Um, And I know that the Department of Health and other um, stakeholders in the country will be um, having smaller and larger um, events um, throughout the week, trying to um, work through what are the initiatives for the World Immunization Week um, and trying to close the gap.
3: Well, in closing, we are closing the gap, I guess. And thank you so much to uh, you two ladies and gentlemen.
6: Thank you and thanks for the opportunity.
3: Thanks. Thank and now it's time for our economics news. Let's get an update from Wisani Matebula.
5: Thanks, Asanda. The newly appointed uh, acting CEO of South African Power Utility, Brian Mulefe, has promised to work with his team to minimise load-sharing in the country during maintenance. Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown has announced on Friday that the Transnet CEO had the necessary expertise to help deal with the challenges facing the power utility. Mulefe says they will ask, uh, seek ways to obtain energy reserves to use during maintenance.
8: We need an additional amount of megawatts of electricity as a buffer to stop load shedding from happening, as a buffer that allows us to switch off some of the generative machines to allow us to do maintenance, maybe 2,000 megawatts. The question is, where are we going to get the megawatts that will allow us to do maintenance without load shedding? And that is a problem that we need to solve, and I hope that we can have an answer soon.
5: Muleyfe has also asked South Africans for patience.
8: We need a little bit of patience. We're going to try and minimize load shading. We're going to come up with a strategy to make sure that electricity is available all the time. What we're running short of is sometimes about 3 or 4% of the total amount of electricity that we need. And we think that problem can be solved.
5: Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has contradicted his finance minister Patrick Chinamasa over the weekend during the commemorations of the country's 35th independence. A few days ago, Chinamasa said the country had no capacity to pay to pay bonuses for 2015 and 2016, promising to review the situation in 2017. However, Mugabe has assured government workers that bonuses will be paid as the country's economy is on a rebound. Simon Muchengma reports from Har- Zimbabwe attained 35
0: years of independence from the white colonial rule on the 18th of April and again citizens were made to reflect on the gains of freedom over the weekend. These celebrations were however held two years following the adoption of a new constitution but the country's laws are yet to be realigned. Financial
5: indicators, the dollar at 1245, South African rents at 9.7, Botswana Pula and 7.34, Zamb and Kwacha also at 0.67 to the British pound and at 0.94 against the Euro. Gold is trading at $1,204. Platinum $1,164. A fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $64.22 per barrel. Channel Africa supports the hashtags say no to xenophobia and we are one.
3: Thank you, Usani, for, for that uh, update. Let's get to news from the sports world now with Fiki Lelimwat.
0: In our sports update this hour, we're kicking off with athletics. Former world champion and Olympics medalist, Kasta Simena is not worried about making the world championships qualification time yet, but just to keep her shape at distance. This was her fifth 800-meter national title and says fitness is all that matters for now.
5: Uh, I'm not about uh, running times, you know. It's about running good, you know, for me to gain confidence again. So, yeah. Of course, it's a plan. You know, you have to run tactical, especially if you're coming from injuries. You know, you don't want to hurt yourself. So, man, it's a good feeling. You know, to come back here. You know, do what I do best.
8: Fantastic racing, yeah. And then obviously
5: oh, thing, uh, you will use Europe to, pick to to get that qualifying mark for for, for the World Champ. Yeah, that's a that's the main aim. You know. The most, thing, uh, the most important thing is to stay healthy, like I said a few weeks ago. So we, we're not really worried about the qualifying. We know what we're capable of. It's just a matter of uh, getting fitness race, And you know, then carry on with uh, what do we do.
0: And on to tennis news. South Africa's wheelchair tennis player, Lucas Sitoli, defeated world number one David Wagner to win the quad singles final of the Airports company South Africa SA Open. This is Sitole's third successive final against the American. Lally Standard reports.
3: Lucas Torley finally got the monkey off his back when he beat world number one, David Wagner, on his third try in the airport's company South Africa SA Open. Torley beat the American 3-6, 6-3, 6-3, and the world number four said this is just the start of things to come.
0: Oh, yes, I think uh, this is the new Lucas at toilet, uh, because from here I'm going uh, to play uh, Japan Open and the other tournaments but I'm, uh, I'm also going to work hard you know, uh, to, to defend my title when I'm going there and also to, to work hard, you know, uh, as my coach uh, told me, that uh, there's no break uh, in witcher tennis because it changes every day. So I just need to keep fit and make sure that I stay injury-free and then I think everything will be possible.
3: Lali Standard, Airports
2: Company, South Africa, SI Open, Johannesburg
0: to rugby news, South African rugby side Bulls coach Franz Ludek says he's pleased with the result after his team beat the Sharks 17-10 in Durban. Ludek says it was always going to be tough getting a result away, especially against the Sharks, and commended his team for having
2: played well. Yeah, for sure, the scoreboard is in our favour, so yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling, you know. Um, didn't have a lot of wins the last few years, here, yeah, so so always a. Uh, Tough assignment when you get here, you know you need to be on, on, on your best. I know they're missing a few of their key players as well, but uh, tonight we played well. We played for 80 minutes, we had to work hard for this one, but uh, a great result.
0: In swimming, Olympic gold medalist Shandle Leclerc brought the curtain down at the 2015 South African National Championships with his third gold medal in Devon at the weekend. Leclerc was in dominant form, touching the wall in first place with a time of 52.03 seconds. He was followed by Nico Meyer in 53.68 seconds with George Durand begging bronze posting a time of 54.88. Leclerc bowed out of the six-day meet with four qualifying times for the FINA World Championships in Kazan, Russia in August. And finally, with the Gulf News, Thailand's Kiradesh Afibanrat has won the Shenzhen International for his second European Tour victory. He finished on 12 under par after a closing 72 and edged past Chinese number one, Lei Hao Tong, at the first hole of a playoff. Nick Dai reports. A dramatic finale to an eventful final day. Afi Barnrat had led by two but looked out of sorts. By his own admission, he was too nervous. He gave a chance to a host of other players. 19-year-old Lee took advantage to shoot a 67 and set the clubhouse lead. A downcast Afi Barnrat needed the encouragement of his caddy on the 17th tee. His approach allowed a successful eagle putt to tie the lead and he had a chance to win on 18. In the playoff, he had effectively the same putt and this time made it for Birdie and he adds to his Malaysian Open success of two years ago. An emotional Tommy Fleetwood narrowly missed out on the play-off and finishes third. You'd imagine every one of the top three finishers has a great future. And remember, Channel Africa supports hashtag say no to xenophobia and hashtag we are one. That's your Sport News this hour.
3: Thank you, Fix. And remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us. We'd love to hear from you via Facebook and Twitter. And you can also SMS your views to 823 325 well, that's it from uh, us here in African Dialogue. Thank you to our producer, Tumelo Zulu, uh, our executive producer, Brett Wilkinson, our technical producer, Ace Kenny. i um, your host, Asanda Mazaunyane, for today. Have a great Monday.